Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Uber Neuro, uh, the podcast created uh, to connect with and interview amazing people with various neurodiversities, some diagnosed, some undiagnosed, uh, to find out what challenges they faced, uh, what happened next and where they are now. Uh, today, uh, I have a real treat. Uh, I'm often uh, find myself as one of the uh, oldest people in the digital world, having been around for a very long time. And it gives me great pleasure to know that I'm not alone, uh, that there are absolutely other legends out there who've been around as long as I have. Um, you're, not, you're not alone, Al, and, <laughs> and it's an absolute pleasure to be on the podcast. <laughs> so ladies I, and gentlemen, this is Phil Argent, and he is a veteran like me. Uh, Phil, hello. Hello, hello. Hello, Al. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to talk to someone as experienced as yourself. Experienced, uh, yes, that's, yes. The word. We, that's the word. I think we have seen the world being built and we're now seeing it reinventing itself again. So, uh, and, and it's incredible to watch from our perspective of, uh, you know, having seen it for, well, the first few iterations. Um, in the context of Uber Neuro, of course, uh, you've got a great journey. And uh, why don't we... Uh, why don't you tell everyone uh, a little bit about you and then we'll ask you the first question, you know, uh, about the challenge you, you faced originally. But give everyone some uh, context of who Phil is. Okay, I, I, very simple summary. I started my career at 16 years of age uh, in 1986 for Virgin. I worked with Richard Branson on one of his shops on Oxford Street wow. um, and then basically went from uh, Virgin and tried my best through uh, university and onto bigger enterprises to try and be involved in some of the biggest dot-com um, opportunities um, in the world up till around about 2007. Thereafter, I've been building companies since. Amazing. What was that? Just what was the biggest dot-com name you were a business? QXL Ricardo. We took on eBay. I was involved for five years. Wow. It, I was employee 26, grew to 850 staff. We raised 200, $200 million investment. And I think, I think it kind of leveled off at 23 million uh, subscribed users. We took on eBay. We did pretty well. And that got sold in 2008 for 946 million to a South African business. And, and I, I, I kind of like to think I was fairly instrumental in <laughs> building the operational blueprint for 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 that company and never well, celebrated never celebrated it enough but yeah, that's and i'm sure you were instrumental i can't imagine you weren't given that you were one of the original early team so um i'm sure you're you're you know what's the opposite of blowing a trumpet not blowing a trumpet i'm sure you're not uh, blowing a hiding hiding yes indeed. um <clears throat> and at a certain point obviously i mean obviously you always uh, you must have always felt like an outlier and at a certain point um reality emerged and you discovered something about yourself what was that i i i have a very distinct memory i was probably around about uh, 12 years old i'd started senior school and the the my first introductory my first introduction to senior was school was simply to be put into a small a small room with six other people of which we spent the remaining of our schooling in that room. I'd, I'd gone to a convent school on the outskirts of London. Wow. So I 
I, I fondly remember the room. It was very dusty and the teacher had a lovely fluffy purple jumper on most of the time. And it had a wonderfully massive vintage table. Um, but I don't think we did a lot from memory. Wow. And, and how, how was all that for you? What, what sort of challenge did you face? I mean, you know, did you, were, you a, were you a good student, Phil? I'm imagining the answer to this is going to be a no, but were you a good student? I was fantastic at maths. I had a guy, my tutor, that, who I remember fondly, was a guy called Mr. Martin, who sadly left. Um, I, I was in the top set for maths, but in no other classes was I achieving any level of competence. Um, but me and my old friend, um, Colin Pryke, who's now one of the senior, I think he's a C-suite executive in one of the banks in London, we, we used to f- fiddle around with a BBC computer between breaks. And that was pretty much... Um, the the kind of my 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 schooling education really. I just learnt to uh, overachieve in one subject that I completely understood and completely not exist in all the rest. Amazing. Uh, at, at a certain point, obviously, I think you uh, th- this this uh, different mode of uh, intelligence or awareness became formalised. I guess. Uh, what 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 emerged? What special skill did you have or not have? I, I actually I actually think when it, it because obviously it was I've never um, I, I think I only formally got diagnosed with my dyslexia um, about four years ago just through my own wow. interest in how my brain worked. Yeah. Is the te- there'd never been any acknowledgement within my schooling system or my or my or my family? Interestingly enough, we were a frightfully middle class family that ignored kind of these the the those things is that I think I only really kind of came to realize that I thought very very differently um really after I pushed myself through university where I just kind of tried my best to join organizations and take up a job but within six months of taking up any job I just didn't seem to I didn't seem to think correctly I didn't seem to have the conventional expectations. I just always seemed to be saying, why don't you do things differently? Because this is ridiculous. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd kind of never, I'd, I think I'd actually built a huge amount of coping mechanisms that made my ability invisible to other people. Right. Amazing. It comes back to hiding again. That's the theme, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 well, you know, meeting you and others as I am this year is that I've, I've come to the realization that I've probably been hiding my, my abilities, hiding my successes, hiding my unfair advantage, um, and never rewarding myself because of it. I've yeah. always seen it as a, 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 something that's unaccepted, my, my mind and the way I think, unconventional and unmanageable for other people. And I've never kind of given myself the opportunity to fit in. Right. Amazing. So you just kind of, of, uh, you know, uh, adopted that role and got on with it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And and, and the most important thing, I think, is that I I have, I've been massively successful in lots of things, whether it was kind of as a youth in the army, in the army cadets, I was a four-star regimental sergeant major, did brilliant things as a kid, had the time of my life, any sports that I've taken part of. I, I've been involved in rowing 
for many years. I rode at Henley. I've done all sorts of stuff. I overachieve and I have always overachieved since I was a kid. Always overachieved. I've just never allowed myself to live in the uh, in in a bubble of success. And I think it's a shame that it's taken me till now to start to uh, to try and peel back some of that reward that I think I should allow myself to have. But um, yeah, but you know, fundamentally, I, I I've been brilliantly successful. Apparently, <laughs> well, obviously, obviously not by your own measure, or not sufficient. But to everyone else. On the outside, I guess it looked like you were wildly successful, which is a testament to your ability to crack on regardless of your challenge, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think, um, I, I, yeah, I just think the world's changed so much now that neurodiversity mm. is kind of a conversation that we can all have, we can embrace. Yeah. And I think in the context of, of the superhuman and the world we live in today, I think the the mechanics of a neurodiverse mind is so much needed in businesses these days, in organisations, in schools, in peer groups. I think it's so important that it's uh, that it's open and shared more than it is. And, um, and I mean, that's an interesting thread to go down, Phil. Obviously, and you and I have clearly chatted about this a little bit before, but... Just give us a quick perspective. As, some, as a senior business leader, how, how do you, what's your take on that? Expand a bit more. Right, so, so and I'll, be, I'll try and be as brief as I can. Yeah, yeah, what I've come to learn in the last 15 or 20 years, and I've been an observer of the world, whilst it may be at scale through VC-funded enterprises down to my small, my own personal investments, is that we, we've, we've, we've engineered ourselves into a, a world where we are, influenced by huge amounts of data that stream into us um, organized and built organizations that can cope with that type of uh, influence and what we've done is we've actually processed our organizations out of being uh, to have any form of enterprise we become just these process mechanics and i think one of the things that I'm sort of sensing at the moment is there's, there's an opportunity to, take, to, to introduce managed chaos. And right. managed chaos is simply having a wider perspective on the things that people don't intentionally want to share because they would be threatened by sharing them. Um, and, I, and I think in terms of like the, my aspects, in terms of my mind and how I work is that, and I, I think there's many others, is that we don't have a chaotic mind, but we are constantly learning. We are constantly learning. There's no convention. No, we didn't learn to stop learning. That's, that's important is that we will always learn. So any organization that brings in a mind like mine will simply introduce innovation, introduce learning, introduce compassion for opportunity. And I think, um, yeah, that's, that's something that organisations need going into the new worlds that we are going into at the moment. Amazing. And, and that dovetails so well with how I feel. That's why I've called this podcast Uber Neuro. Because, yes, I understand there are negatives to the challenges we all face, neurodiverse or otherwise. But I also, my experience is showing and telling me that many people with neurodiversity possess something other people don't possess and, and that it can add a positive and therefore to me 
it becomes a superpower. And the businesses that understand that, and some are already clearly understanding that, but the businesses that understand that, that potential to bring superpowers into the business are going to massively, massively uh, outposition competition because they're going to have something unique in the business. Is yeah, that- no, that's absolutely true. And I, I think, you know, that can't be said. That can't be said loud enough that organisations need to introduce agile, free thinking minds that are eternally learning. Yeah. We're not, we're, you know, our minds, neurodiverse minds are not driven by someone's algorithm or no. some educational system. They're, they're driven by the constant desire to learn, the constant desire to learn, because there are no ceilings. There's no ceilings on my learning. It's interesting. You just made me think of the phrase neuroagility in relation to agile. You know, absolutely. It's, it's another reference that's that's so so correct. Is like you know the agility to think faster. We do have yeah. that ability. The agility to think differently. We can do that. We can cope under huge amounts of data and insight. We can take in on board huge amounts, huge amounts of information faster than other people in organizations because we are also, in my experience, we are non-political because we are constantly learning. We are constantly learning. So therefore we don't judge instamatically. We judge through observation, learning, and kind of like, you know, like Harry said on your podcast the other, the other week is that, you know, I learn through like five dimensional learning. There is no one reference to one point. Wow. So, so yes, neuro, neurodiversity, neuro agility in organisations make them powerful. Wow, I agree completely, hundred uh, percent. And I, I think we already see early evidence of it. Uh, there are companies now actually springing up on the basis of only hiring people with neurodiversity. I, I think every every major PLC, every FTSE one hundred, every you know Nasdaq. 500 i think they all should look to reach into the neurodiverse community which is hiding a lot of it and actually put them into boards put them into c-suite positions put them into you know the director of innovation the director of challenge the director of growth put them into positions where they will become an important source of information and i think it it can revolutionize businesses in the next 10 years absolutely revolutionize them no, no, I agree. I, I think it actually even is now. Uh, I think there are some early stage uh, indications of that. Um, you know, I've, I've interviewed some interesting people on this, in this podcast series of who are doing that in small business. And I think in larger businesses, uh, I think, you know, we're, we're going to see that more in enterprise, certainly. And what's interesting is that you can't, you know, there's a really amazing human I know called Barbara Ball who runs a special educational needs and disability consultancy uh, training and advisory business and um, <clears throat> and placement business and she you know she always says that <clears throat> you can't it's really hard to be a school achieving an outstanding Ofsted if you don't have outstanding special educational needs covered and and I think there's a massive lesson there into business from schooling and I need to speak to Barbara about this Barbara if you're listening get in touch we need to talk because clearly the lesson learned or to be learned for business is if you want to treat your staff brilliantly, start by learning to treat staff with disabilities, neurodiverse or otherwise brilliantly. Because if you can uh, 
reach a level of kindness in the business that allows you to create space for people with difference, then you will treat all your staff in an awesome way. So actually, uh, when you combine that with uh, what Kelly Croft from a company called Born Anxious says, Born Anxious is a fantastic clothing company for for kids with and adults with uh, autism sensory disorder who need sensory aware and sensitive clothing. Chiro says it's about being kind. When we bring all of this together, the biggest superpower uh, of neurodiversity is its power to make people be more kind around neurodiversity. From a corporate perspective, the ability to not only outposition intellectually, but to become more kind in a world where, as you and I both clearly know, humanization is the new frontier. Clearly, being kind, being uh, neuro-agile, this is what the future looks like, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and I, I think the interesting thing about that is, is that when, when you introduce, a, a, you know, let's say a neurodiverse component into your organization yeah what you do is you have the opportunity to change to influence the rhythm of the organization yeah now that that then that can be simply introduced because that mind or that group of minds think at such a different pace yeah they can look at opportunities ahead yeah yeah, yeah, and they can slow opportunities down. Now, what 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 that does is that introduces opportunities for organisations to consider much much bigger questions. But what they do is they can always come back to the where do we start principle. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's I think that's as you said, like you know, the caring factor in organisations is that, and it's something that I'm sensing a lot at the moment is that organisations technically can't build themselves faster. They have to build themselves at a manageable pace. And I think what a manageable pace means these days is slow, slower, slowing down. But I think the slowing down, when you, when you introduce the, the more dynamic brain power, it gives your organizations brilliant superpowers, brilliant superpowers, because you can look at many things in many, many different ways incredibly fast, and you can get answers to things faster than you can get AI or computer learning to do so. So, you know, in, in effect, just if, if you want to learn how things in your business work really well, why don't you just actually talk to some of the people that can process faster <laughs> than, than any trained or undeveloped AI system? You know, there's I, kind of... I love that. I love that. The, the stepping stones into AI projects introduce a neurodiverse mind into the project team and you have someone who can think almost as fast as the AI is kind of thinking, you know, who needs to train AI neurodiverse minds. Amazing. Neurodiverse. Amazing. That's, that's the, that's the career opportunity for us as a community for, for the, you know, the foreseeable future is uh, we can cope. Let's get on with it. Wow. It's cool. I like it. Yeah, that's, that's an incredible um, perspective that actually artificial intelligence would do better to be trained by neurodiverse minds than neurotypical minds. Well, it, 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 it's kind of like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? It's like people say that a neurodiverse individual creates chaos. But technically, when yeah. you go looking into information and you're an AI function, you're trying to create patterns through a learned behavior. And who can teach that? 
that learning behavior better than a mind that thinks multidimensionally. Yeah, amazing. It's, it's kind of like an absolute no-brainer. I'm, I'm available for hire. <laughs> As there are many, many of us. Uh, yeah. You know, there, know, there's, there's huge opportunities within that, that sphere of learning. That, that's a point very well made. Don't worry. Um, I think um, the, the next question I have, just to bring me back to my centre a little bit, because clearly there's a whole... I mean, this is a massive, massive topic and we can't even begin to do it justice today. So obviously, you know, amongst all the happenings that were going on and the revelations that led to this sort of thinking, uh, you, you discovered dyslexia. Um, what, what happened next? Oh, God, when, once I discovered, the interesting thing is once I actually discovered it, one of the things that I've gone through is quite a an extended period of self-reflection uh and that part of obviously connecting with you and, and the neurodiverse com community is simply this i i i've started to kind of gradually realize that i have so much to contribute to bigger yeah. opportunities that i always thought i should be operating at but i'd built mechanisms that I would never allow myself to get there. And I think what's, what's, what's happening and, and what happened next is, is that my ambition to understand problems that have big consequences for many, many people is, is, is kind of like my direction of travel at the moment. Is look, I'm looking for the biggest, as someone said to me, is I look for the biggest problem and then ask the smallest question. And that's what I'm learning to kind of embrace, embrace at the moment is that my, my self-reflection is quite brutal, I think. Uh, the, the analogy I used the other day with my wife is every day I wake up and I run into the biggest fire. <laughs> and, um, but I think, I think um, you know, th th there was kind of like a pivot uh, in, in my life and I think it's taken me about four years to kind of, kind of start to, it seems like a long time, but it, it's taken that long to kind of start to get um, comfortable with uh, possibly the responsibility that I need to take on to 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 have the success or or accept the success that I should be uh, I should be rewarding myself, which is all a bit all a bit overwhelming, really. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so so where are you now, Phil? What what's next for you? Give us a quick heads up on uh, uh, what the future looks like. Right, so the future is quite exciting. I'm currently working on a, a fairly extensive project. Um, it's I, it's called All Gardening. There's a triple W, which is triple www.allgardening.co.uk. What I'm trying to do through um, building a franchise network and a marketplace is I'm trying to build and connect all the gardens in the world through yeah. a platform. And I'm trying to... Um, basically build a minimum viable product. Um, I'm looking at basically using AI to do satellite and property and landscape um, analysis. So there comes the AI training component in me. Um, in effect, what I'm trying to do is build a understanding of the globe through our love and connection with gardens. That's what I'm trying to do. And then build a services marketplace um, within that. And that all comes from having uh, the ability to work on a macro level 
the biggest question is like, for instance, there's 22 million gardens in the UK that are serviced uh, to some extent, and there needs to be a service provider for all of those properties. And I believe that AI and 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 satellite mapping gives 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 us the opportunity to basically build a marketplace for for traders and products and services. So so yeah, so I'm I'm trying to basically connect all the gardens of the world to create amazing. So a shared a shared a shared love of our environment that we need to care of we need to care for you know we are we are living in one one big planet that is connected by greenery gardens there is a mild sprinkling of buildings somewhere and then massive oceans so yes i'm i'm after them as big a challenge as i can make it and i think that's about as big as i can make it i think that's incredible phil it makes me think of uh you know, never mind Skynet. You're in, you're building garden net. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. I'm building. I'm just simply. I've got a satellite map that I use, and every time someone hits my website, um, I share the data onto this map. And um, gradually, you'll be surprised at the amount of people that have a, an affinity with the word gardening across the planet. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I'm not surprised actually. I think that's an incredible. Uh... And it, yeah, and 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 the tactics behind it. Uh, one of the macro tactics which my brain copes with is I'm trying to engineer the word all gardening into as many conversations globally. Well, you've so, engineered it into this one, so that's well, <laughs> well done. We'll try and get into the summary for the uh, the podcast episode. We'll try and get all gardens in there just to add to the uh, uh, add to the reach, Phil. What can I say? Um, thank, you, thank you very much. It's, well, it's, look, a, it's a giant mission. Yeah, no, keep going. Uh, incredible, of course. I knew it was going to be a deep podcast. I knew we were going to get to some really interesting stuff. I think the future of business, anyone who's interested in business, the future of business and neurodiversity and kindness and humanity, frankly, psychology, is going to find value in this. I hope everyone listening will agree. Um, anyone that is listening to this, uh, please, if you care, please share. As I say to wrap up every week, somewhere out there, a youngster. Uh, has developed or discovered a neurodiversity and thinks it's their fault, doesn't think they have much of a future. They're, of course, completely wrong. And all of our guests are testament to that. So do spread the word. If you think of anyone we need to interview, please get in touch. Uh, Thank you once again, Phil, for being our guest today. I'm really grateful. My pleasure. It's been it's been an it's been an extraordinary journey so far. And I I think, um, yeah, the next 50 years, we will be around, Al, and we will see it change, and we will be part of it. Well, I hope to be around. I hope to be around. I, I was told uh, recently, just as an aside, that I'm only 23 years to 70, which is nice. So, uh, uh, <laughs> 50 years, I should be 97, approaching my century. So, let's hope, uh, let's hope I stay in for the full century. Um, right, my dog is barking. That's clearly a signal for me to shut up. Phil, thanks once again. Everybody listening, thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.